0: Gentlemen, boys, and girls, to celebrate the 4th of July, please enjoy this presentation from Hit the Deck. We hold these truths to be self evident that you are listening to the Hit the Deck podcast, that this is our Independence Day scrimmage in the year of our Lord 2019, that this podcast is endowed by its creators with certain unalienable themes, that among these are deck hockey, street hockey, ball hockey and the pursuit of hockey in sneakers today we celebrate our independence day we welcome you ladies and gentlemen to our independence day scrimmage 2019 thank you for listening to this scrimmage of hit the deck and If you're new here, a scrimmage is not a full episode. It is a more informal, single topic show that we do for usually centered around a holiday or or just occasionally because we need to do a shorter thing and can't do a full episode. But, you know, we figure around the holiday times, people have other things going on. They don't have time to listen to a full episode of us. So we like to, to do something a little light and a little fun. So... In that vein, for this Independence Day scrimmage, James and I have come up with a somewhat unique discussion for you today, and that is, namely, we got to thinking, what if? What if, lo, those many years ago on the American continent, when it was only the 13 colonies, the dawn of American independence, what if, instead of massacring one another with guns and bayonets and implements of destruction what if the british and the newborn americans had instead opted to settle their differences with ball hockey how would that come out an interesting thought experiment i will grant you but something that we, <laughs> we we thought we'd give a shot to and you know so i think this has the potential to be a little fun so come on this journey with us will you joining me of course on this uh this 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 Trip through twisted history is is James. He's the strong silent type, but I assure you, he is here with me. Say hello,
1: James. Hello. Thank you. Uh, I I wasn't able to speak because of that incredible speech that you gave at the top of the scrimmage, and I was trying very hard not to laugh. And really, quite remarkable and 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 patriotic and wonderful. So thank you for that, American Rhino.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it seemed thematic, so I I wanted to I wanted to roll with it. But so James. I put this to you, this idea. So let me take you back. Let me take you all the way back to, uh, to before 1776, in fact, because that is the birth of the American nation. It predates the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And in fact, there were many contributing factors to the Revolutionary War. And uh, one of the most famous being the Boston Tea Party, of course. But it wasn't just one day. The Americans decided to be Americans and start making war on the British. A lot of stuff ramped up to it, but we're not going to get into the the complex political machinations that, that really led up to that. We're going to, I think, hit more of the high points here and just kind of talk through how it would have been had they decided to settle their differences through hockey. So I take you back, James, to April of 1775. The famous battles at Lexington and Concord. And so these are not really large, decisive battles. These were a series of skirmishes. Uh, So let's say a series of friendly matches that broke out and and here and there and, and across the region. And let's say that these matches had a little more than usual on the line. They weren't quite so friendly. They got a little chippy. Let's say that and the famous Lexington and Concord games, you have to you have to picture the British teams in their shiny red jerseys and the the American teams in their ragtag brown jerseys and their hand carved wooden sticks yep, and their their balls made of animal hide and sawdust the little more than sacks really. That could barely be passed and, and, and bounced and really just, oh, they didn't even have a paved surface to play on the, this was, this was guerrilla hockey, James. This was, uh, you know, that this, this was not your civilized one team takes a shot and then goes to regroup while the other team takes a shot. No, this was, this was the, the British team not understanding a, a new and really, dare I say, revolutionary way of playing the game. And of course, it featured the slapshot heard around the world. Yeah, very
1: true. Uh, this is exciting. I really think it's a great idea, American Rhino, and, and hopefully that uh, it ties in American history, which everybody really should know and, and appreciate instead of just sitting back and trashing this country for no good reason, uh, knowing where we came from and how a lot of bloodshed got us to where we are. And our freedoms are not to be taken for granted, but to tie in the ball hockey side is really a cute and fun way to relive the history or at least learn of the history. And absolutely, that's really summed up the differences between the United States, which was not the United States yet, and uh, the British between the two. Exactly. And it's kind of something that we can relate to as well for the ball hockey side is that we, in, in our old league, we didn't play on the best surface at all, and uh, it wasn't regulation by any stretch of the imagination. But we still played ball hockey, and we enjoyed it, and we were able to hone our skills and then go into other tournaments and so on and so forth. So that was definitely like the underdogs that the uh, Americans were at the time with their great, great head coach, Mr. George Washington by the way, who got the best out of the small troops that he had or the small number of troops that he had. Excellent, excellent strategist, and uh, made the best of, as you definitely pointed out and was very true, not only between the harsh weather and conditions, the the really brutal summers and and the just I can't describe them other than evil winters that America first had way back in the 1700s during the time of the Revolutionary War. But he got the best out of everybody and, and, and rallied the troops and taught them how to play and, and, or how to fight and all that and really adapt because it's true that the british had the money they had the funding they had the strategies but that was all going to be turned on its ear and that was the only way that the fledgling united states had any chance was to come up with something completely different and that's the point of a game plan and coming up against you know the good old david and goliath where that you got to do what you got to do so okay maybe our sticks aren't the best and and the puck balls aren't the best and Lord knows our uh, sneakers, quote-unquote, at the time, the shoes or whatever, they had rags on their feet were not the best either. But boy, oh boy, when you're determined and uh, you think that you have a chance and you believe in yourself and you have a true leader in front of you, you can do anything. So this is definitely one of those things. You look on paper, the United States, America had whatever you want to call them at the time, had no chance.
0: George Washington, of course, named commissioner of the American forces, the American leagues, as a result of the second Continental Owners Meeting. And he was, in fact, put in charge, but he would not actually assume command until after the famous game at Bunker Hill, which uh, was, was a, a brutal game indeed, with, with both sides going at each other hammer and tongs, I assure you. There was some hitting in this game, even though uh, it was not strictly in the rules. I think uh, at some point you have to throw out the rule book because sometimes deck is hell. And, you know, the reason that the Americans were able to be so successful in their Their revolution was because they were willing to go against the traditional accepted rules of deck hockey. They went into the the dirty areas and they played the trap when they needed to. They touched the puck with a high stick on occasion because that's what you have to do sometimes. They passed the puck back to their goalie and had him cover up to delay the game. They even shot the ball out of play on occasion because they were the underdogs They weren't nearly so organized as the British teams, and that's what they had to resort to. But it worked. Amen to that. The Americans may have lost that game at Bunker Hill, but they made it a costly victory. The British lost many good players that day.
1: (laughs) Another fascinating thing about this is that I didn't even realize it, that there were battles in Canada too, Quebec and Montreal, but That's what's so fascinating about this whole thing, and and what a great idea this was, American Rhino, was all the areas that they battled on turned out to be incredible hotbeds of of hockey. You know, Boston and, and Massachusetts, obviously, you got both North and South Carolina, Jersey, New York, Philadelphia, or Pennsylvania, I should say. Absolutely astounding. Yes, indeed. And in late December,
0: those games that were played in Canada actually began to come to a head it began to rise to prominence but not before around christmas time in south carolina they began their own winter classic the snow campaign as it was called games played in 15 inches of snow but being the gamers that they were they pressed on for liberty They played through the snow and they battled for every goal. But in fact, they would fight their way north and they would have some success, as you said, in Canada, in Quebec, in a hotbed of hockey. And the Americans would start to see a string of wins. They would go on a winning streak as they marched north up into Canada, into Quebec. And unfortunately, they were not able to sweep as they were hoping to do because that really would have put the british back on their heels but the americans were able to find a real foothold in canada and the language differential did not impede their ability to win hockey games and they were in fact able to muster up enough effort and enough oomph Enough international spirit to beat back the British teams pretty often in those games.
1: And something else that's fascinating, too, as we've talked about in, in previous Hit the Decks and the history of, of hockey, is that the Micmac were hockey sticks made up by the Native Canadians at the time, as, as we refer to as Indians or Native Americans. So maybe that helped turn the tide for the, uh, the, the American deck team. I mean, I'm not going to say it didn't. I'm just disregarding real history, by the way. <laughs>
0: but, yeah, as opposed to me, who's, you know, diligently recounting with great historical accuracy the ball hockey campaigns of the 1700s.
1: But there's something that I find really incredible in the year 1776, and, and we're not going to go through every detail and every year and so on and so forth. But the Battle of Brooklyn is highlighted on August 27th. 1776 how incredible is that the american rhino's birthday
0: (laughs) yeah but it's your borough
1: but that it just ties everything in together so beautifully that i had no idea that you could narrow it down the battle of brooklyn to your birthday that that is incredible
0: see now in the the chronology that i'm looking at james that is actually listed as the Battle of Long Island. And, you know, unfortunately, it would not be the last time that a devastating loss would be seen on Long Island.
1: Yeah, that's true. But fair enough. Again, this is before there was a Brooklyn or Long Island, as we know it, but the area. So I assume that, uh, and I have to look into my history, and, and shame on me for living in the borough and not knowing exactly where this took place. But in Manhattan, you can see, you can walk the streets that, uh, the revolutionary heroes actually walked the the cobblestone streets that are still there, which is quite incredible. But Brooklyn is quite a big borough, but I'm assuming that if they're just saying either the Battle of Brooklyn or the Battle of Long Island, since Brooklyn is technically on the island, that would definitely make more sense since you are a Queens guy, so I'll uh, defer to that. But maybe it was specifically in what became Brooklyn uh, as we know it today. But fair enough, it, it, it literally is on the island. So either way it's cool
0: yeah sadly shortly after that the british teams were able to pretty much dominate the rinks and parks of new york city where uh they they had free liberty to run their own intramural games after the revolutionary american forces had been driven out and i know a little something about being driven out of uh of of somewhere that you called home james yeah that's politics for you uh one of the reasons why i hate politics but james never fear never fear it was an unfortunate stretch for our area in terms of who was able to hold and who was not but fortunately the traveling team the hessians came in and they were able to to retake Fort Washington in New York to grab a foothold back in the tri-state area for hockey. And thank goodness for that. It is worth noting, James, that in June of 1777, the American leagues voted to adopt their, their official league crest, Old Glory. Yep. And, uh, you know, we have famed ball hockey booster Betsy Ross to thank for that, of course, the Stars and Stripes. Moving forward in 1777, James to October, the uh, you know traditional beginning of the hockey season for us here now. It's possible that that beginning is a direct descendant of what happened in October of 1777, which was the beginning of America's real rise to dominance in the Revolutionary War and the failure of the the British. To really continued it to, to gain ground. They, through a series of games in the Saratoga region, the British just kept racking up loss after loss. And that was not only a big debilitating blow to the morale of the British teams, but it also encouraged an international team, the French team, to take an interest in our burgeoning American hockey teams and to decide to come over and, uh, in the
1: spirit of international cooperation, you know, play with us. Yeah, whatever happened to France? I mean, they, they were cool. at one. Well, obviously, they were just being spiteful towards Great Britain, but still, they were cool once. What happened to you, France? Yeah, well, James, never underestimate
0: what people will do for spite. That's true. (laughs) And hey, we got that cool
1: statue in the harbor. That's very true, too. That's right. I bet she would be a heck of a hockey player. And she was an incredible symbol on uh, somebody's mask, too, by the way.
0: (laughs) You know, I, I think people don't realize that actually the Statue of Liberty, I think, got damaged in transit over here. And what we now know is the torch that she is proudly holding up is really just the knob of what was a hockey stick originally being held aloft. Yes. triumphantly. Yeah, sure. She was she was holding a hockey stick in one hand, the rule book, the you know, the official deck rule book in the other hand. Absolutely. This is basic American history. If you're not learning this in school, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Go go back to your teachers and demand to be taught correctly. That's what I say. So, yes, in February, the French team and the American team joined forces and they, you know, became allies and they decided to mix and mingle their teams a little bit and, you know, combine with a split squad to start messing up some some British teams and to really, you know, gain
1: some ground in the standings. Yeah, it really worked too. And there's nothing better than having a good bench because you could get winded out there pretty quickly, especially dealing with the weather and the the sicknesses and the harsh conditions on top of everything else. So once you have that bench and you could switch out some fresh legs, really makes all the difference in the world.
0: The key is short shift, James. I don't know how many times
1: I have to say that. (laughs) That's true. I'm too stupid to remember that, but that's very true too.
0: Fresh legs win games, James. Here's a date of significance, James. On June 18th, the British teams decide to abandon the Philadelphia market <laughs> and and go back to New York. Now, personally, as someone who lives in New York, I see nothing wrong with wanting to leave Philadelphia and come here. I completely understand the sentiment, although I do wish that the American forces had had a little more of a stronghold here in New York <laughs> at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, talk about the uh, Broad Street bullies. Come on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> But it worked <laughs> At this point in history, the British teams and the American teams start trading wins back and forth and neither team can really get the momentum that they need to really start climbing in the standings. It's uh, you know a bit of a midseason doldrum, frankly, and uh, you know I think really while both teams got their share of wins, there was no clear dominant team for the next couple of years until, we come to 1781 when when in January that the Cowpens, which I don't actually know what state that's in South Carolina. Oh, South Carolina. OK, South Carolina. When uh, in, in the Cowpens in South Carolina, the British team got suddenly and decisively swept and, you know, they gave up a lot of goals is what I'm saying. And uh, they, they really it seemed like it kind of broke their spirit at that point. And this was the real final turning point, which caused the American teams to get that momentum, that big mo, and to, you know, really gain the confidence to push through and, and to, to start running away with the division.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely one of those games where you can hang your hat on. And, and it, once you get that, again, that momentum, that confidence, and it just kind of snowballs and you don't want to give that up. So once you break through, get that chink in the armor, you're going to take the can opener and rip open the rest of that armor and run right through.
0: This, of course, takes us through to October. Again, October. All the most significant things happen in October, James. That's that's why hockey season starts in October. I'm convinced. I wasn't before, but I'm sold now. When in Yorktown, the bulk of the British teams actually decided to forfeit. They were so demoralized at this point by all of their losses and all the goals that they had given up that they outright decided, not all of them, but most of the teams
1: in in the British leagues decided to outright forfeit the rest of the season. That's right. Yeah, that took place in Virginia and another great area, as we just learned, of uh, deck hockey. So, it, yeah, you know what, man, as they say, there's no such thing as coincidences. And how you came up with this topic and, and what we're learning tonight really proves that there aren't any coincidences. And, uh, you know, they
0: over time, over the next couple of years, that would really spell the end of the great campaigns between the British and the Americans, at least until uh, 1812. <laughs> but, uh, you know, their rivalry resumed then, but for the revolutionary tournament, that really was the crowning blow. At that point, you know, the what was left of the British teams, even though they continued to play on here and there, their hearts really weren't in it. And eventually the cup was awarded to America and they were ultimately recognized as a true independent hockey league and that's where we are today so uh you know i (laughs) that that's been your history lesson for this fourth of july and i think i've earned a hot dog (laughs) but what do i know i'm still in florida
1: happy birthday america
0: Yeah. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to go over to the American Adventure Pavilion and, you know, see if they mention any of this ball hockey stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, right. And and don't forget to go to, is it the Hall of Presidents too?
0: Yeah, well, I did that yesterday, so... That's fine. I've been extending my patriotic activities across a couple of parks. I, I went to the Hall of Presidents. I watched the Muppets reenact the great moments in U.S. history. And I watched the incredibly patriotic fireworks. And, and I'm doing it again today in a different park.
1: The American Rhino lives up to his name.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope I'm having fun. So. <laughs> yeah, don't forget uh, the sunblock. Let's assume that I am. Yeah, I, I, the I really don't want to. <laughs> I really don't want to come back as your mostly red, white, and blue American rhino. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, make sure you have your poncho and your your sunblock at all times.
0: I'm good. I have prepared well. I have a wife who does this sort of thing and knows way more than I do. Well done. But for you, listener, really, in in all fairness and in all truthfulness, thank you for sitting with us through this. I hope you found it worthwhile and have a happy, healthy, fun, and... You know, above all else, safe. Independence Day. Happy 4th of July. James, do you have anything before we go?
1: Just wanted to reiterate what the American rhino just said. And thanks to our military, seriously, for letting us enjoy the birthday of our beautiful country. So God bless all and God bless America.
0: You bet. Happy 4th, everybody. Happy Independence Day. Happy birthday, America. Thank you for listening to the special presentation. We've hoped you'd enjoyed it. Please have a nice evening or day. I almost forgot. Happy Independence Day!